And now, it's time for Floria. Welcome to Attitude of Altitude, Mindset of Happiness podcast. My name is Floria, founder of Recognize Your Potential, and thank you so much for taking time to join us here today. And uh, if you have already listened to part one of the interview with Pauline Dakin, you know this is the second segment and delighted to have Pauline here as my guest here today. Thank you so much, Pauline. Thanks for having me, Floria. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences, uh, expertise, and so much of your own life with us, with me and with us. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, uh, I, I, I'm happy if there's something that people find valuable in, you know, what has been my story in my book. Well, definitely, uh, I definitely uh, find great value. And I know so many people out there are, uh, will also benefit because uh, from around the world, people will, uh, who have questions who are wondering, who are experiencing, not just with delusional um, disorder. disorder, but also on so many aspects, such as when you were uh, mentioning in the first segment about choosing your narrative, being conscious about uh, how you want to see a circumstance and the relationship between our emotions and how we feel, as well as uh, how our body uh, reacts and uh, actually uh, the impact of all of that emotion on our body. So let's get back to the various emotions and how they impact our body and our physical, not only the physical life, but also the emotional, mental health and uh, especially given your background and expertise in health research, we'd love to hear more about that. Mm. Well, I guess the thing is, uh, as humans, uh, you know, we are essentially made up of a variety of chemicals, right? Uh, you know, we have neurotransmitters and chemicals that work, you know, in concert in our body. And, uh, you know, science has come to understand that uh, our emotions have to do with what chemicals are being released in our brain. So we know about stress chemicals like cortisone, uh, for example, and, and increasingly we understand that too much of that is very bad for you. Uh, so yeah, in the last uh, segment I was talking about how uh, when you are holding a lot of anger and fear, your body is in almost a, a fight or flight uh, mode. And it's very difficult for your body to sustain that over a long period of time. It has impacts on your cardiovascular health, on your immunity, on inflammation. A, a recent study looking at inflammation uh, as well, which people are studying in relation to all kinds of illness. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it, so there's that physical side of it. Um, but there is also how do you feel? And, you know, when we are 
um, feeling negative emotions. It limits our ability to look forward to the future as a happy place that we want to be. So it not only impacts our now, it also impacts our future. Mm -hmm. And um, I know in the last segment, we just briefly discussed forgiveness. And you were sharing that how um, freeing it was and it has been for you. Now, going back to the uh, book, um, Run, Hide, Repeat, A Memoir of a Fugitive Childhood, is that, which has also been um, <clears throat> a bestseller and by one of the 100 books in uh, 2017 by the Globe and Mail, and also won the prestigious 2018 Edna Stapler uh, Prize for creative uh, nonfiction. In this book that you have written and has done really well, and while you were doing the research, while you have written it, and then afterwards. How has things changed for you? Uh, well, I, when you, I think when you make a choice to, to dive deeply into circumstances that have troubled you in your life, um, that you begin to open a door to something new. Uh, it, and I'm not saying, oh, the door opens and everything's wonderful. I mean, it is a difficult thing to rehash, <laughs> you know, traumatic events in your life. But, but in doing that uh, from a distance, I think it's something that you need some distance from. So the, these were events that happened decades earlier for me. But from a distance, I think you can begin to see certain patterns and certain... Um, perspectives that aren't available to you in the moment and allow you to reach some kind of new understanding about what happened but also about yourself and the way you respond to things and and then I think you're able to make some decisions about so how's how's that working out for you <laughs> you know do you need to um, rethink the way that you respond to hardship in your life or do you need to embrace things that give you happiness in your life so again it's about choosing uh, you know there as far as I know there is this one life that uh, that I'm gonna live at least uh, in this realm and what do I want that to be so choosing things that make me happy coming to terms with the things that have troubled me not trying to forget them but, you know, forgiveness is a part of that. And, yeah, it's about choosing your, your story. Okay. So choosing our story, um, letting go, forgiving, and to free us, and choosing the narrative that we want to see. And you also mentioned going beyond your comfort zone. Yeah, I, I think that going, in fact, I'm trying to remember, I just read a quotation about this that I thought, yeah, that's right on. The idea that we only grow and learn when we push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. And that's true, you know, I teach 
at the university level and and I see that in students you know the students who are willing to um, you know try new things that they're not confident or comfortable with that's where they can surprise themselves and say look what I was able to do you know that's a wonderful thing to witness in anybody's life yes and many people say as long as I'm witnessing it in someone else's life and I'm not doing it myself <laughs> yeah well you know it's like everything else you get out of life and circumstances what you put in uh, and if you're if you're happy with status quo well, that's great uh, but I would say most of us could you know at some point in life say is this all there's got to be more than this uh, where am I going to find satisfaction in my life and that might mean that you've got to push yourself outside of that comfort zone and try something new so have you become happier as a result of this experience oh yes oh yeah much happier and you know I don't I don't want to come across as so when my mother was dying of cancer I, we had a conversation and you know there is this message out there that you know a positive attitude will overcome your cancer and if it if it doesn't well you just weren't positive enough and that is a tyrannical message and it's not fair and it's not true so I'm not trying to oversimplify or to negate people's difficulties or feelings you know anybody who reaches a state of happiness has has you know also been in a state of unhappiness um, but you know, I have been able to find the things for me that uh, that can make life a lot better. And and part of it is, you know, we talked about forgiveness, but but this also letting go um, of a of a need to know how things are going to work out or a need to determine how they're going to work out. It is a bit of a you know things will work out as in in some positive way at some point. I remember a producer I worked with one time, I had broken my wrist and I was in a lot of pain and dis had a fair bit of disability for a while. And she said, everything will be okay in the end, Pauline. And if it's not okay, it's just not the end. <laughs> I actually printed that out and pinned it on the bulletin board in my office and thought, yeah, I li I that works for me. <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, Part of a, uh, I, I do a mindfulness practice that has been very helpful with learning that I don't have to lay down the law about what everything's going to look like in my life. I may have been a control freak at some point, uh, which may have served me well, uh, you know, at times, but it doesn't anymore. And, and I'm okay to not be in charge of everything all the time and to let things go as they will. Uh, and sometimes there's some wonder, wonderful surprises in that. Yes, as you were uh, speaking, I was smiling uh, because uh, happiness, as you said, anyone who is happy has known unhappiness because we can not get there or want it so bad if we have not experienced unhappiness. Mm -hmm. And um, I love the fact that you meditate and you run and you're physically active and you take care of yourself and you practice mindfulness one of the things i was saying yesterday with uh, a client and also another colleague that 
if there was one lesson in life, is to let it go. And as a recovering actionholic, I know that very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. You know, when you think about the things that where we, the places we look for happiness as a society, uh, you know, it is, happiness is always something that is just over there. We're almost there. And as soon as I get that better car or that bigger house or that fabulous outfit or that great trip or whatever, that's when I'm going to be happy. So it is this sort of delay of happiness because I haven't quite reached that certain thing that's going to give it to me. And, and I think, you know, I had to get kind of old to figure this out, but, uh, but it, the, the happiness never comes from outside of you. It's coming from within you and how you look at things and, and how you prioritize things and yeah, so. So are you saying that when you are happy within you, that's the unconditional happiness? Uh, for me, that is true. I'm, and that doesn't mean that every day at every moment I feel happy. It means that overall I have a sense that of contentedness uh, and that, yeah, there's rough patches and there's annoyances and, you know, s some days things don't go well. But that there's always this stasis, this place where I know where to find my happiness. And that is about, you know, all the practices that I do that are reliably giving me happiness. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting, there were just um, a couple of studies out recently that talk about... Um, exercise and it's in in the context of mental health care and you know for me and for a lot a growing number of people um, exercise is the thing that we can control it has no side effects it has only positive effects as long as you don't injure yourself um, and and we know clearly that it uh, changes the brain chemistry in a way that makes us feel happier. So we hear about runner's high. I'm, you know, that that's kind of doesn't happen nearly often enough. But we even without a runner's high, there is still that change in brain chemistry that kind of resets how you're feeling. Um, and so th there are people who are doing research suggesting that if we if people could include exercise as part of a prescription for mental illness, things like depression, mood disorder, um, anxiety, uh, that there would be fewer people who are having to take medication for these things. Everybody wants an easy fix, of course, and there will be people for whom medication is always an important part of the puzzle, but, but overall, again and again and again, in all realms of life, exercise comes out as, this is what will improve things for you physically, mentally, emotionally. And I think, boy, if, if I uh, could say to somebody, I have a pill, and if you take this pill once a day, you will be physically healthier, you'll be less likely to die of cancer, heart disease, you'll be less likely to develop dementia and Alzheimer's. By the way, it'll make you feel happier, and you'll be able to manage the stuff of life more easily and feel more um, content. If I said, I have a pill, and it will do that for you if you take one a day, what do you think I could charge for that? And how many people would want to have that? Uh, that would be 
uh, priceless, and everybody would want two or three a day. <laughs> yeah, well, and that is something that is free and available to most people. Now, obviously, you know, if you are very depressed, it's a very difficult thing to get yourself up and exercising. If you have mobility issues, that can be a challenge. Uh, but for the vast majority of people, that is something that is free and it's available. It's up to you. So why do you think most of, more of us are not doing those things? Um, Honestly, because it's not a habit, right? It's, it's hard to get yourself up and going. I mean, every January, gyms everywhere uh, have hundreds of new members, and this is the year they're going to get fit, and, you know, everybody starts off with great intentions. But it's something where you have to make time, you have to, as you're getting started with it, make conscious decisions every time. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym in the morning. i got to pack my bag. I've got to, you know, it's conscious decision-making every time. And, oh, but I could sleep in for an extra hour and a half. That would be really nice. I'm tired. I think, I think you have to sort of push yourself up that mountain to, and, and make it a habit. Once it's a habit, you don't even think about it anymore. It's just what you do. And it's so much easier to just do it. It's getting to the point where it's the habit, I think, that is, is the hardest part and why pe more people don't do it. You're right. And it's, you know, as I'm sitting here and listening to you, watching your body language, you're talking about um, running or exercising and eating well, and you get so passionate about this. Your whole energy has become much more passionate when you're talking about these elements. Now, you also have mentioned about meditation and mindfulness. Can you share a little bit of those with us? Yeah, well, it's something I started doing, uh, I guess, about eight years ago. And at that time, uh, you know, I have to say it was, it was kind of a tough time in life. And I just knew that I had to make some space for myself in some way. I needed something. And, you know, at the time I was a health reporter and I knew what the research was saying about mindfulness. And, in fact, mindfulness has become a part of treatment programs for, you name it, depression, anxiety, all of these things that so many people are suffering from right now. Um, and so it is now a, it is now prescribed. It's part of the you know do take your medication and and do your mindfulness, uh, and get talk therapy. Those are you know the typical uh, parts of a, a prescription. Uh, so I was reading about the benefits of mindfulness and thought, yeah, that's what I need. <laughs> you know this ability. I was in a very busy job and I'm a single mom and I was you know doing too much and and so for me um, it, it was a promise I made to myself that I'm gonna try this I I'm reading all about the benefits I'm reading you know what people say about this I want that and uh, you know it, it takes a while to start to feel the benefit of mindfulness I mean you can see little bits pretty early on but at some point maybe some months in, I began to realize that I felt 
a little bit of distance from the noise in my life. That it, it just pulled me back a bit from, I, I wasn't getting so caught up in the drama of life that I had a bit of distance that I could sit back and, and be a little bit more reflective about things. That was the, maybe one of the first things I noticed. I also noticed how much better I slept. It was great. And that, you know, if I was ha having some kind of a conflict with one of my kids or something, I didn't, it, I was more calm about it. Uh, and I was probably better at communicating and relating with them. So, yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing, right? And you also meditate every day. Well, I use those, um, I use meditation kind of interchangeably. It, it, for me, it's a very similar thing. Uh, you know, for some people, meditation is a religious practice. Uh, I would say for me, it is, um, it is mindfulness with an element of spirituality, perhaps. Um, and so I think it does get used interchangeably quite a bit. So it has definitely helped you as well. Mm -hmm. I know I um, meditate, again, not in a, a religious form, uh, purely for my own happiness, for my own selfishness. And I'm happy to admit that. Um, it is my happiness and well-being, that peace of mind that I uh, find so uh, so refreshing and a mindfulness is definitely has been a part of my life I've researched it a lot I've practiced it analyzed it looked into it and as as part of my journey and I didn't know to date that you practiced mindfulness meditation and run so it's great uh, like-minded mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. um, now that you have written the book and you are practicing these um, um, greater self-awareness and being conscious about the choices, the thoughts that you uh, have and you make, um, tips on uh, how to let go, how to forgive, or uh, coming more into terms with our emotions, uh, tips or your secrets, your wisdom that you might be able to share? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure that I have any sort of royal jelly to, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I think the things that are available to all of us that are most effective in general are free. You know, it is that exercise piece. It is that mindfulness piece. It is the ability to impose a little bit of distance from all of the drama and goofiness in our lives, right? It is being out in nature, which is huge. Um, and, uh, you know, part of mindfulness is trying to be in the moment and not always worrying about the past or anticipating and worrying about the future. You know, where am I right now? What And can I make what I'm doing right this minute important and meaningful to me uh, in a way that satisfies me? And 
you know, people say, oh, the future will take care of itself. Of course we have to, you know, there's planning, there's, you know, thinking and being reflective and all that. But, but where do you live? And I think you have to live right now mm -hmm. uh, and, make, and, and do what you can to make that a good place to live. So more enjoying the now. So why is it so difficult for us to enjoy the now when we are consistently looking back or looking ahead? Well, because we don't live in isolation, right? We live in a world that is a very noisy place with all these messages about what we should be thinking and worrying about and what we should be working towards or avoiding. or You know, we're just surrounded with messages all the time. And, you know, it's hard to, to filter those because they're so, it's like the fire hose of, you know, messages and information and so on. And to be able to step back from that a little bit and say, yeah, but does, but is that really something that's for me? How does that, you know, I think it's hard. It's gotten harder and harder to chart, chart your own path in a world of, you know, social media and, uh, you know, all, all kinds of media and busyness and, and, yeah. So, yeah. And that is ironic for someone who is in journalism and teaches journalism and the noise and everything else that we are surrounded by. I know that I um, don't watch TV and I also uh, don't listen to news and I was at a meeting and there were politicians there were business people and it was about 20-25 people and I uh, there was sort of a conversation happening and I made a couple of comments and then afterwards I came out I thought wait a moment I haven't listened to news in about four or five years. And sounds like I haven't missed a beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but at the same time, you may not have listened to news, but I'm pretty sure that you uh, have not been able to avoid some of the, the big themes in what's going on in the world, right? We're talking about more controlling governments. We're talking about the climate and, you know. So you can't avoid that by if you're living in the world, right? Yes, but I don't, I'm not as bombarded mm -hmm. with the details of it. Yeah. We know it by osmosis, sort of, by being here. Yeah, my, my concern about that is, do we know it in enough complexity to make informed choices? So as a journalist, uh, I, I used to be a news junkie. I would read two newspapers a day, listen to multiple newscasts, watch television news. I was a junkie on news, and I knew what was going on in the world. And, I, you know, as part of my job, that was important. I'm no longer a news junkie, I'm a, but I, I do stay engaged with the news. But I choose the time and place of that, and it is not as overwhelming to me as it once was. I mean, I... I I don't own a television anymore, but I do uh, stream things that I want to watch, you know. So I do watch, uh, you know, it's the golden age of television, they say, right? There's great 
um, storytelling that I enjoy. And I listen to, you know, I, I try to catch the world at six every day because I think they do a great nuanced job of, of covering what's going on in the world with a little more complexity than a lot of others. Um, I scan the, the Guardian and the New York Times and the Globe and Mail most days. Um, but, but again, I'm deciding how much. Uh, I don't want the fire hose. I'm going to take a sip of this and a sip of that, and when I've had enough, I stop. But it's choices, right? Yes, very well put. I like that exam, that analogy of a uh, fire hose of information news versus a sip of this and a sip of that. Very well put. Mm -hmm. And you say you don't have tips? <laughs> you have many. Okay. As I'm listening here, sitting here, I'm hearing so much about the practice of mindfulness, um, recapping some of the things that you have mentioned, and exercise, exercise, you've mentioned that a lot, and living in the moment, in the now, letting go, uh, which is a huge art. If there was one thing that in our life that um, would be the top lesson in my mind would be letting go not wanting to control everything and script and make things happen as we normally do especially as a recovering actionholic I definitely know that you've also shared in terms of the impact of emotions can have and the benefits of mindfulness you've given us a lot I'm glad if that's true. <laughs> You've shared so much of your experiences, expertise, research, findings. And as someone who's so successful and does a fantastic job training, educating our future journalists, I am thrilled to have you here again, honored and humbled looking away, <laughs> but still saying, oh, no, can I interview you? And you so graciously accepted. <laughs> I am still in awe of that. I'm thinking, are you sure she said yes? Here we are. <laughs> yes. Yes, you did say yes, and that goes to uh, your generosity, the generosity of your spirit or your inner being, soul, whatever you want to call it, your own being, as you do so well. And in who you are. Um, I love what you have shared about forgiveness. Um, we're going to close off, but I want to ask you if there is anything else that you would like to say. Uh, n just the, you know, this is, what I'm talking about is what has worked for me and I think everybody has their own path and and will find their own particular recipe if they if they're paying attention to what they need and want very well put as one of my uh, dear friends uh, she said uh, don't give advice so much just give suggestions <laughs> people will figure it out for themselves and uh, so once again thank you Pauline taken uh, for being here for our guest and sharing so much of yourself your experiences and so much of your life and 
what you have experienced. I am truly honored to have you here. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us, spending time with us. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, Attitude of Altitude. And until next time, uh, make sure to practice mindfulness and mindset of happiness. However, it fits you, your life, whatever works for you. And regardless, choose uh, happier thoughts. Choose uh, to consciously be happier and uh, choose a narrative that makes you feel empowered and happier rather than a victim. Uh, love to hear your gifts of feedback, your uh, unrecognize your potential, or uh, connect with me on social media. Thank you so much. Until uh, next time, have a wonderful Wednesday. Please go to www.recognizeyourpotential.com for more information about Floria. Floria would love to hear from you.